The Guardian. The Guardian has partnered with audible.co.uk to offer listeners a free audiobook if you sign up for a two-week trial of their service. Audible has 40,000 titles available to download. For all the details, follow the links at guardian.co.uk slash audible. I have a message. A message from the people of Kentucky. A message. A message that is loud and clear and does not mince words. We've come to take our government back. A truly terrible night for the Democrats. Does this spell doom for Barack Obama? I'm Jonathan Friedland, and this is the Focus podcast from The Guardian. As the Republicans take control of the House of Representatives, we'll use this week's show to pick through the debris of the midterm elections. Is this the end of America's liberal experiment? Will this shift in power emasculate the Democrats? And is this the end of President Obama, reformer? And joining me here to talk about all that here in London, Martin Kettle, a former US bureau chief for The Guardian, Andrew Clark, until recently the paper's New York correspondent, and in Washington, nothing former, very much current, Suzanne Goldenberg. Welcome to you all. Suzanne, let's start with you and talk about the story of this extraordinary night. I mean, they did always predict it would be very, very rough for the Democrats. They foresaw the loss of the House of Representatives. But is the big picture as bad as they feared? Why don't you, Suzanne Goldenberg, talk us through what happened uh, on this extraordinary night? I mean, it really fulfilled up to some uh, of the worst expectations uh, for Democrats. The night started early with Rand Paul in Kentucky. And after that, it was sort of defeat after defeat for the Democrats. And what you saw was the rise of this Tea Party movement. So you had uh, Rand Paul, followed by Marco Rubio in in Florida, who's also a very uh, strongly um, conservative leader, you had uh, Jim DeMint in South Carolina coming in um, very easily winning his election and uh, talking about a sort of new dawn and a new era. You know, as the night wore on, there were some signs that, you know, it wasn't quite as bad as it could be. A lot of the Tea Party favorites, uh, including some of those anointed by Sarah Palin, like Christine O'Donnell um, in Delaware, that very uh, controversial candidate who started her campaign with an ad saying, I'm not a witch. She actually lost. So although the outcome isn't what we all worked so hard for, our voice was heard, will continue to be heard. So I hope and pray that you are as encouraged as I am. There were another, uh, a number of other losses for the Republicans of high-profile candidates in the Senate. Uh, Harry Reid, the Senate Majority Leader, managed to hang on to his seat. I'm not finished fighting. In fact, tonight, I'm more determined than ever. So I know what it's like to have the odds stacked against you. I know what it's like to take a punch. I've taken a few. But more importantly, I know what it's like to get back on your feet. So, Martin, as uh, Suzanne Goldman was saying, there were these crumbs of comfort. Democrats held on in West Virginia, those seats in California, and a couple of governorships, big yep. ones in California, New Very York. Very important one. So, so those are the sort of crumbs of comfort. But overall, it's not a good night. And particularly people took this to be a referendum on the president, on Obama. If that is fair, what went wrong for him? What went wrong for Obama, basically, is that he was president when the American economy tanked for the, in the worst way for more than half a century. And 
particularly unfortunate from his point of view, was that it tanked just before he became president. And so, uh, you know, all the, so he's been the owner of the, the bad economy. He's also put forward the stimulus package of a very, very large kind, which has uh, uh, been a red rag to the anti uh, government bull in the on on the American right, so they're energized. They've been energized from day one uh, for all kinds of reasons about Obama. But the economy is the under the underpinning. And yet there are liberals one. saying you didn't go far enough on the left. Yeah, well there there are, and I mean clearly the Democrats are in some confusion as to about where they should be going, where they should have gone, and I think those uh, those divisions are obviously a real problem which they're going to have to try to sort out, try to reconcile over the next two years. We'll probably come on to that a bit later on in the in the in the in the conversation. But I think the basic thing that went wrong was that the independent voters who swung massively to Obama in uh, 2008 and who helped the Democrats to win Senate seats which they hadn't won in many years, places like North Carolina and so on, and places out in the West which they hadn't been winning terribly much uh, in recent years. All that's gone into reverse, uh, and that's basically because the independents seem to have uh, switched over. Uh, looking at the exit polls, uh, the independents went plus eight for the Democrats in 2008 and plus 16 to Republicans in 2010. Certainly want to pick up that thought about independent voters, and we'll come to that. But uh, Andrew Clark, um, Martin mentioned the economy. Uh, you used to be in New York covering Wall Street, among other things, now business editor of The Observer. Uh, just uh, the economy and, and, and the picture there, it does seem just persistently bad for Obama. And just give us a sketch of how bad it was for him going into this election. Well, indeed. And the problem that Obama has is he has to make a, a fairly nuanced argument on the economy, which is that it could have been much worse if it, if it hadn't been for the policies that um, the White House has implemented. Its argument is that things could have been worse than what we've got, what America has at the moment, which is unemployment of very close to 10%. Higher than it is here, for example. Considerably higher than it is in the UK, yes. You know, still government held stakes in a number of large banks and auto companies, uh, where the money has not yet been repaid, uh, albeit uh, the beginnings of that beginning to dribble in. You know, you had an economic stimulus package of very close to $800 billion being spent. Um, um, the Obama argument is that, that that saved hundreds of thousands, if not millions of jobs, uh, yet nevertheless we've seen unemployment stubbornly high. Um, so you've got, a, you've got a White House argument that is nuanced coming up against a Tea Party argument that is the very opposite of nuance, that is tempting because, because it is simply the government is responsible for everything. Suzanne, uh, listening to all that, I mean, it, it does sound as if there was almost nothing the Democrats could do. I mean, the economy in the tank, as we were hearing, you've got 10, uh, unemployment around 10%. Is there anything Obama himself or the Democrats collectively could have done uh, to improve their situation given the circumstances of the time? I, I absolutely think they could have um, uh, at a number of points down the line. I mean, what happened, really, you could look back and see the sort of seeds of this defeat lie as far back as August last year when there was this big uprising uh, and a sort of astroturf uh, grassroots, uh, faux grassroots uprising against 
Obama's health care package and against its energy agenda in the summer of 2009. And I think Obama and the Democrats really needed to get in there and to begin aggressively to fight back. Uh, against that sort of fake grassroots movement. I also think that Obama didn't really succeed in making the economic case and the economic argument. I mean, many of these Republicans voted against extending unemployment benefits. Many of these Republicans didn't want to offer help for people who had lost their homes in the foreclosure crisis. And I think the Democrats could have made a better case that they were standing up for ordinary people. So if that's the, um, the the cause, that both a very, very bleak economy and a sort of passive, slightly feeble response defending its own case by the administration, wh- wh- where does that leave us now? Martin, um, what does it actually mean in practical terms that the Democrats have lost control of the House of Representatives? Obama's still president. They've still got a, uh, a majority of sorts in the Senate. What does it actually mean day to day? Well, it means that he can't get his budget through without some agreement between the House of Representatives, which basically controls the federal budget, and he uh, who proposes it. So, I mean, that that's the big picture question uh, down the line. Uh, is, uh, is, is the Republican leadership in the House prepared to do deals with uh, Obama on this kind of thing? Or will there be uh, a confrontational approach uh, on both sides? I mean, obviously, both sides are going to be jockeying for advantage uh, going forward. But will there be the kind of confrontational approach that we got in the mid-90s under Newt Gingrich, you know, who basically was trying to marginalize the president all the time, trying to prevent his re-election, overplayed his hand? Will John Booner do that uh, as the new House Speaker? That's the big, big political question over the next two years, it seems to me. The Senate side of things, it's advantageous to the White House and to the Democrats that they have a majority because it's better to have a majority than to have a minority. But the fact is that the, uh, the, the, the way the Senate wor- has been working recently uh, with the blocking um, minority being really able to stop everything that was at all controversial... Uh, I think the Senate is much less important uh, in in that uh, in that big economic and social policy uh, way. So, and it was almost as if he hadn't had a majority there anyway, I know. day to day, because I, he wasn't I, getting stuff through. I know. I mean, he had, you know, he had he, he had sixty for a few months, and then they lost in they lost Ted Kennedy's seat a year ago in Massachusetts. Actually, that foreshadowed everything that happened tonight. What happened in Massachusetts twelve months ago has happened uh, across the across the uh, United States. And, and Andrew, I mean, the, the, we, we talked about crumbs of comfort before. In your old stamping ground, New York, there is now a, a Democratic governor there. California as well, and they have held on to the Senate. I mean, are, is there anything besides sort of consolation to be found in these uh, gains or wins for the uh, for the Democrats? Well, I think so. And uh, there might also be some relief on the side of the Republican leadership that certain individuals like Sharon Angle in Nevada, Christine... Very much backed by the Tea Party. Yes, the, 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 the really extreme Tea Party is like Sharon Angle in, in Nevada, Christine O'Donnell in Delaware. And, and it looks like Joe Miller in Alaska did not make it um, because that that will mean that it's, it's slightly easier to be constructive with the White House on issues where where they want to be. Um, the, the other challenge that the Republicans are going to have straight away is that a number of 
well, a, a large number of people who voted for them are in economic trouble and have eff- effectively voted against their own economic interests. They voted for a party that wants to block an extension of uh, unemployment relief um, and that wants to effectively stop all efforts to stimulate the economy. There might be there might be a, a narrative whereby they sort of get found out by their own voters who have been attracted to them for perhaps in some cases for social reasons, for guns, abortion, um, anti-gay marriage, and they now realise that what this these Tea Partiers want to implement is, is is considerably against their own interests economically. Well, you brought us to the big story, in a way, of the 2010 campaign, which has been the Tea Party movement. It's certainly been a big change since 2008, that degree of energy. And The Guardian's Ed Pilkington was in Kentucky as Rand Paul claimed the Tea Party's first seat, if you like, in the Senate. Rand Paul has just come on stage with his family, about to make his victory speech. The ballroom is full. Everyone is extremely excited. They're all convinced that this is a historic night which is going to change the face of America. And they may very well be right. We've come to take our government back. America can rise up and surmount these problems if we just get government out of our way. Jessica Frazier, um, you're a Rampal supporter and yes. a, you have attended some Tea Party rallies. Um, tell me what you would like to see Senator Paul, as he now is, do when he gets to the Senate in January and starts actually becoming a proper politician. I want him to reduce the size of the federal government. I want him to turn more of the responsibilities that government has taken over either to private charities or to the local and state levels. I'd like him to call back the health care bill, get rid of the Department of Education, the Department of Agriculture, the Federal Reserve. There's a lot of things the federal government are, are doing now that our founding fathers intended to be done at the local level, and they would be much better served. Gerald Sullivan, now you're a, an eye doctor here in Bowling Green, which is exactly what uh, Rand Paul does, so you're, he's your colleague really in the health service here locally. You know him very well, but You've also got views about 2012 and the presidential election. Would you actually like to see him, I mean, it'd be quite quick for him, would you like to see him run? Oh, I'd be glad to see that if his father doesn't want to. You're a fan of Ron Paul, Rand's father, who is a very prominent libertarian in America. Well, I think he's also conservative. I'm I'm just a, for someone who's consistently libertarian conservative, I think I'll hash mark it or dash it there. Okay, and for the benefit of, of those who don't particularly understand what an American libertarian means, what does that mean? Very limited government, minimal interference by the state. So I'm standing with three Rampal supporters. I, d- I just wanted to look ahead a little bit after his victory tonight. What happens in 2012? The pendulum has swung the other way and, and in... in the GOP's direction, and I hope that we take that um, and do the right things with it so that the presidential election in 2012 will uh, continue in that trend in the right direction for the country. If you think about how quickly it all seemed to have gone a little bit south for Barack Obama, do you think the sense of euphoria here tonight could fade equally quickly for the Republicans? Well, I think we're just getting started. <laughs> I really do. I think this. I think this can go a long way. As she said, if, if the GOP really takes into account what's happened here and begins to govern in a conservative fashion, I think that we're on a roll here.
Ed Pilkington among the tea partiers in Kentucky. Successful night for them there. But Suzanne Goldenberg, I mean, we should stress, shouldn't we, that the Tea Party is not actually a formal party on the ballot. It's a movement which backed uh, candidates in various Republican contests. I mean, they did well there in Kentucky, but uh, you mentioned uh, Christine O'Donnell failed to win in Delaware, Sharon Angle in Nevada. These were other Tea, tea Party favourites. What do you think is going to be the future for this uh, movement? And, uh, and, and might it, if it hasn't already, split the Republican Party? Well, I, I think that's a huge question going forward. There's going to have to be a lot of accommodation in the days ahead. How is Obama going to work with Congress? And how um, are the Republicans going to work with the Tea Party? I mean, for now, Sarah Palin, who's, a, if you like, the La Passionera of the Tea Party, is saying quite firmly that, you know, she remains a Republican. But if the Republicans don't listen to the message of Tuesday night's elections, well, then there may have to be a third party. So the Republicans are going to have to really um, give in to to some of the things that the Tea Party uh, holds dear, and that is reducing the role of government. We've heard that over and over. You know, uh, there's going they're, they're going to want to shut down branches of the government. They're going to want to reduce uh, regulatory oversight by agencies like the Environmental Protection Agency. They're going to want more offshore drilling. Um, so you're going to have to see a lot of uh, very difficult and delicate compromises going on within the Republican Party and between the Republicans and Democrats. This is going to be a problem, isn't it, Martin, for the for the incoming Republican Speaker, John Boehner? He's going to have to somehow reconcile the kind of demands uh, Suzanne was talking about there that the Tea Parties are going to make with, on the other hand, wanting to reach out perhaps to the middle ground to get things done, to show his party is responsible, can work with the president. How do you think they can reconcile those two things? I think it's going to be difficult. And I mean, the Republican Party over the last 20, 30 years has changed a great deal. It's moved in a very consistently conservative direction. It tends, even uh, this uh, even this week, it tends not to win uh, seats, which it used to win pretty regularly, where there was a liberal Republican tradition, particularly in the Northeast. Um, that party really ha- faces a lot of dilemmas. And uh, the the way the House leadership, uh, who gets to be the House leaders, uh, the, the 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 other office holders down the line, that that's this is going to be a very important decision. Who gets committee chairs? All those things are going to be very important in setting the 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 tone and the overall balance of how of how they do this going forward. I mean, I think the big thing I it's worth nailing down here is that as of today, the Republicans have some ownership of the economic situation in the United States. And that's what's changed. And in a way, that could work to Obama's advantage. Because right up until now, uh, the Republicans have been the repository of every protest. Uh, They've been the protest party in every possible sense about everything that is wrong or felt to be wrong. As of today, that changes. And, you know, if if the experience in the 1990s is a guide, and I think it might well be, you're going to have a Republican Party which is going to be torn between trying to force the the government down uh, into closing off things, shutting down, all that sort of uh, 
stuff which goes down really well with the crazy bass, but it really appalls the people in the middle. And that's going to be very interesting. And some of us lived through that in the 1990s. We did. The government shut down and Newt Gingrich uh, being very, very dogmatic ideologically. And Andrew Clark, what's your hunch on that? Uh, which side of that line? Will they listen to the kind of people we heard in Ed Pilkington's report uh, wanting to, uh, to stick with ideological fervour? Or are they going to get compromise and pragmatic, realising they've got to be responsible? Well, I think we had a taste there of just how um, how out there some of the Tea Party's views are. I mean, shutting down the Federal Reserve, the Department of Agriculture, and the Department of Education. That one did leap out of it, didn't it? The yes, Federal Reserve. It, it wouldn't lead. I mean, for example, without the Federal Reserve, the, the American financial system would have collapsed two years ago. Simple as that. But she suggested um, it be done locally. I'm just imagining the sort of Kentucky Reserve and the Delaware Reserve setting interest rates. That's a a whole can of worms that let's not get into. I, I, I mean, the Republican strategy, in certainly in the Senate over the last few years, has been to prevent Barack Obama from governing, um, down, down to the very granular things like uh, filibustering his key appointments to obscure agencies, preventing people from taking up their post in government. Um, now that they have a majority in Congress, they're going to have to be a bit more constructive than that. And I think one of the first challenges they're going to come up against is, is going to be demand from Republican supporters to try and repeal um, Obama's health care reforms. Um, Obama could veto any repeal of the health care reforms, but they could try and starve funds from the um, from the new health care system. And if they Which, start- of course, doesn't come into effect for some years, does it? So there's quite a lot of play uh, that can be done there. Indeed. But I think the problem they're going to come up against is they're g- if they go down that road, they're going to start rerunning an argument that Washington had a year ago, and it's going to go on for months and months and months and years, and it's going to, you know, it's going to dominate the agenda again, and it, it probably isn't going to... Um, it probably isn't going to engage the population because the issue is so complicated. They've got to find a way of being more constructive and more creative in government than simply stopping things. Well, let's um, focus on the man in a way at the centre of this story and certainly will be front and centre over these next two years, even though his name was not on the ballot. Uh, Here is a particularly low moment in the campaign of Barack Obama. Please join me in welcoming the President of the United States, Barack Obama. Historic health care reform, historic financial regulatory reform. We have done things that some folks don't even know about. Four what have you done kids? that we don't know about? Well, <laughs> the, uh, are you, no, are no, you, no, no, are no. you planning a surprise party for us? <laughs> Filled with jobs and health care. So yeah, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't say you'd run this time as a pragmatist. You would not. It wouldn't be, yes, we can, given certain conditions. No, no I, I, think, I think what I would say is, yeah. yes, we can, but it <laughs> is not... But yeah. it is not going ha- to happen overnight. There was President Obama facing the uh, satirical trap set for him and walking right into it on John Stewart's Daily Show. Um, let's focus now on this, how uh, Obama can handle this huge setback and avoid being hobbled all the way from now till November 2012 and the next president, uh, presidential election. Uh, Suzanne, uh, you, you've talked about some of the mistakes, uh, missteps by the administration uh, that led to uh, this bad result uh, now. But what advice, if, you, if he asked you, what advice would you give him for how he should play things over the next two years if he's going to have any chance of being re-elected? Well, I guess I would have told him to cancel this 10-day trip to Asia that he's, he's uh, setting off on uh, just after the elections. I think this is probably not a good time to, to be out of the country. It 
does sort of, uh, you know, make him seem a, a little irrelevant, a little weak, and, and that's not how he wants to appear now. He has said, you know, that he needs to govern with humility. The Republicans are certainly saying that he needs to govern with humility. But the problem is that Democrats want him to show strength, and uh, he needs to show results as well, if, if not on the economy, which is not entirely in his control on, on other issues. So he, he does need to sort of think very hard about how much further he can go with trying to reconcile with Republicans, because it doesn't seem to have uh, led to any kind of constructive engagement. Uh, Martin, I want to come to you in a minute on the politics and what he should do. But just first, everybody does seem to agree that Obama's fate rests on the economy. Uh, and if that improves, his chances improve. And if it doesn't, they don't. So, Andrew Clark, uh, from your perch as a business editor, what did you think he c- can possibly do? to turn the economy around, lift it up out of this ditch in the next two years? Well, we are beginning to see some positive signs. I mean, there have been uh, 10 consecutive months, I think, of private sector job creation. Um, we had details yesterday of a flotation of General Motors, which will allow General Motors to begin repaying uh, the, e- the, the equity investment that the government put into it. So there are a few steps in the right direction. But just in terms of advice to President Obama, what I would say would be lecture yeah, lecture less and try and emote a bit more. Because while being the smartest guy in the room might appeal to kind of northeastern liberals and Californians in, in the US, it doesn't. I think what we saw yesterday was that it doesn't play well with the heartland. And I would say he needs to, it's a very difficult act to pull off for someone to whom it doesn't come naturally but he needs to go further down the bill clinton path of feeling people's pain uh, and act might be the right word tina brown had a piece uh, online in the, uh, in the daily beast saying that what he's got to do it may be cheesy but he's got to go in for more theatrics of the presidency it's ridiculous she says that he prays in private he's got to start going to church to prove that uh, that he's not a muslim as some you know on the wilder shores of american politics politics in 60 years more you know more op, more uh, performance uh, in his presidency martin would that be on your list in your unsolicited memo of advice to the president well i think he's got to make use of everything that the presidency gives him and he hasn't been doing that and so you know he's in a weaker position than he was for the pr- previous two years so he's simply got to play to strength he's so he's got to do all those things he's got to use use the use the bully pulpit with skill uh, and, and that kind of Clintonian deftness. Uh, I think that is, I think it's a very, very good point. I, Obama is actually a consensual politician. And I mean, he is somebody who is out there for making deals. And he's quite, uh, he's quite a skillful operator in that respect. So, you know, this situation is not is, is not one which he'll be uh, uh, unhappy about in terms of presenting himself as the, as, the, as the person who's trying to work deals, who's trying to make compromises, trying to make things uh, work. And uh, that is, so, after all, how he presented himself to the electorate two years ago, as somebody who could work across and party I mean, lines. I think, there is a, I think you know, there is a kind of broad outline strategy in which you know, he has to be the candidate of the centre. He has to be the candidate of the centre ground there, uh, you know, trying, to, trying to get consensus, trying to keep things moving, get the economy uh, moving. If, if in so doing, he can force splits in the, in, in the, amongst the Republicans, and if the bonanza gift of, of a possible third party run, uh, akin to the kind of Ross Perot run in 1992, uh, seriously gets on the cards of somebody like Sarah Palin maybe running as a, as, as, as a third party candidate. Well, then 
you know, uh, unless it absolutely takes fire, he's uh, he's home for a second term. Although there is already some talk about the, um, the mayor of your uh, previous city, Andrew Clark, Mayor Bloomberg of New York, running as a third party candidate. And some say that could actually split the sort of left of centre vote and leave uh, and cause problems for Obama. Do you, in, in a very short answer, do you think uh, Bloomberg might run? It's entirely possible, although he might want to take notice of the fact that two other multi-millionaire business people ran for office in California this year, Carly Fiorina and Meg Whitman, and both were resoundingly rejected. These are billionaires who put in their own fortune and it didn't didn't work for them. Um, but Suzanne Goldenberg, it does seem as if the big, uh, a big factor in this election was the loss of these independent voters, voters who don't register or declare themselves to be either Democrats or Republicans. They did go with Obama in two years ago and absolutely emphatically went with the Republicans this time. Uh, what is uh, What does Obama need to do in order to win some of those people back um, uh, do, is it quite straightforward he has to move towards the centre and then he can bring some of them back into his coalition? I, I think um, it's much broader than independent voters um, he lost the support of women voters who are traditional democratic supporters uh, he lost the support of Latino voters you've had a number of uh, power shifts in these elections that go far beyond the Tea Party these are demographic shifts that could be really uh, difficult for the Democrats in the days ahead you know with Sarah Palin you now have a number of high pro Republican women. And that is something that's going to energize women voters. You also in these elections saw the uh, Republicans playing down the socially conservative issues like um, abortion and gay marriage in favor of an economic anti-government message. And I think that's also going to hold on uh, to women voters. And you have the election in New Mexico of a Republican Latina woman. Um, so I think there's lots of important constituencies here that the Democrats have to try and reach out to independent voters, women, rep- um, Latinos, and, and Catholics. Um, and so the pressure will be to come out with a more centrist message, a more economic focused message. And really, um, some, you know, they're going to have to show that they can connect with ordinary people. I think that's all really interesting. And I would add one section, which is young voters, because uh, in 2008, Obama, uh, under 30s uh, provided 18 percent, I think, of the whole electorate. And they were heavily for Obama. Uh, this time around, half of that uh, figure. So it's 9 percent uh, of the electorate. In other words, the older people uh, won this election. And African-American voters didn't turn out as well. I mean, that's another key constituency. And, and an unfair question to put to both of you. Are these uh, in the business of prediction? These next two years, are they going to be gloomy for Obama and end in his ejection from office? Or do you think actually, like we've heard the precedents of Bill Clinton in 94 and Ronald Reagan in 82, that he recovers from this and comes back to be re-elected? First to predict, Suzanne Goldberg. Ooh, I, th- I think it is going to be a very gloomy uh, few months. Certainly, if uh, if the Democrats and Obama are going to have any hope at all in 2012, they have to begin to claw their way back by the middle of this year. Um, but we can expect, you know, a lot of shenanigans in Congress, a lot of investigations, a lot of stops on budgets. It, it's going to be a really difficult few months. Martin Kettle. Yeah, if it wasn't for the economy, I'd feel more confident that Obama would win uh, re-election. I mean, you're just in a, an unprecedented situation with the economy uh, so difficult and also with uh, this fired-up uh, Republican uh, base and with, the, you know, Fox News and, uh, and that 
whole the whole white noise of American politics and its white noise um, is is a very new factor. And whether Obama can cut through that is the question, and I honestly don't think I do know the answer. Quite uh, avoiding the uh, explicit prediction, but quite gloomy forecasts from from you. But uh, my thanks, unfortunately, that's all we've got time for. But my thanks to Martin Kettle, to Andrew Clark in London, and Suzanne Goldenberg in Washington. I'm Jonathan Frieden, the producers Peter Sale and Ian Chambers. Thanks for listening, and goodbye. Don't forget to start your free 14-day trial of audible.co.uk and to download your free audiobook. Head to guardian.co.uk slash audible. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.